All right. Well, we don't have worship tonight because the Ripesters are sick. So they've been sick. We won't talk about what they have or you'll start feeling sick. But anyway, um, so we're going to just spend a little bit of time in prayer. The Lawsons have been gone. They went down to visit their grandchildren and they went down to Carlsbad to Legoland. And um, so that's news. And, um, <laughs> but they, yeah, right. <laughs> but today, um, Jim called and he messed up his knee. So, oh, Shannon's here. So they're back from Legoland. Yes. No, I knew that they were back. But, um, but Jim messed up his knee. So we want to lift him up. Do you have any update on that? No, he Oh. So loud that the guy next to him kind of looked at him like, and then when he stood up, it popped again. Oh. And he says it feels different than other injuries he's had. Okay. So I wanted to take him to urgent care tonight, but he wouldn't go. But I think he's. What a stubborn man he is. (laughs) Yes. Good. Okay. Well, let's lift him up. Father, we thank you for Jim, and we do pray, Lord, that. Oh, Lord, you might bring healing to his body. We know the Lord, even before issues with his knee, there's been issues with his back and his, just all of his body, Lord. And, and we just pray, Lord, you know what's going on with his knee. We do ask for a healing. We pray, Lord, that if something is going on and you're going to just have him go through the physicians, we just pray, Lord, that your grace would be upon him that all of their needs would be met, Lord. We pray that you administer to Jim tonight as he's at home. We thank you, Lord, that they were able to get away with the grandkids and all, and it's kind of a downer to come back and then to have this happen upon returning home. But we know, Lord, there's a purpose for everything. We pray, Father, for the Ripestras and any others that are under the weather, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would... Just heal them up. We know that just receiving text from Marielle and and all, they want to be here so badly, Lord. They love being here. And we just pray that you would encourage them, minister to them. Lord, we pray for the things that are happening in uh, our country right now. We know that uh, tomorrow night, there will be a surge of people coming into the country. And I think the the great concern, Lord, is that um, there are people that are not just coming from, uh, you know, south of the border, but uh, as word has it, there's concern that people are coming in from Iran, people are coming in from China. And it just seems, Lord, that There's something bigger happening. There's something bigger that's taking place, Lord. And uh, we just pray for our nation, Lord. Lord, you you tell us in your word that we're supposed to pray for our leaders. And Lord, I'll be the first to admit that it's so hard for me to pray for our leaders. But we do pray that they would make decisions not to destroy us as a nation, but, you know, to... Yeah, you know, at least keep the status quo of our nation. 
but we pray for that situation going on, Lord. We pray, Father, that the gospel would continue to go out and that people would hear the gospel message and that they would respond favorably, Lord. We pray, Father, for, I mentioned Iran, and there's a threat there, but we know, Father, that there is a beautiful work of your spirit among the Iranian people. And there are many Iranians who are coming to faith in Christ. And we know, Lord, that many of them are now suffering persecution because of their faith in you. So we pray for our brothers and sisters in places like Iran and uh, North Korea and China and some of these Muslim countries, Lord, that are so hostile toward Christianity. We pray for them. We pray, Father, for the pastors that we support in India. We pray, Lord Jesus, that their work would be fruitful among the group of people that they're seeking to reach. Lord, we're so glad you tell us in your word, you neither slumber nor sleep. We think of the threats against Israel. You, ne you neither slumber nor sleep. You have a watchful eye, Lord and you have a watchful eye over Israel. And we pray, Lord Jesus, we know prophetically what's going to happen. We know that there's going to be a battle in Russia and Iran, Persia, and Turkey, and Sudan. These nations are going to come in. There's going to be a hook in the jaw that's going to draw them into Israel. And Lord, we're living in a time where we wonder if today could be the day that that battle's going to happen. But Lord, we pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on you. We pray that our hope is in you. And if our hope is in you, then we will have perfect peace in the midst of whatever may come. We pray, Lord, tonight that as we begin a study in the book of Lamentations, that you would speak to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Lamentations chapter 1. <clears throat> last week, I think I mentioned it on Sunday, but last Wednesday, uh, Tracy and I went to church in Santa Barbara at the Calvary Chapel there, and um, we were met by the pastor, and I didn't know it was the pastor. Um, David Guzik used to be the pastor of that church, and, and then he stepped down. Though he's still there, he travels a lot. So Tommy, I forget what his last name is, real nice guy. He came up and he's talking to Tracy and I, and, and he said, um, so are you guys, um, are you visiting? Are you new to the church? You know, And we said, yes, so we're visiting. And I said, um, we actually attended this church. And he said, you did? And... And it's a big church, you know, but he said, uh, when did you attend? And I said, well, we attended when Calvary Chapel met in the YMCA back in the 80s. And he goes, oh, back in the 80s. His assistant pastor came up and was talking to us. And he said, I was there back in the 80s. He said, I was a teenager back in the 80s. But uh, I was there back in the 80s when Gib Allen was a pastor. And anyway. We were reminiscing. I said, you know, back then, uh, Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara did not have its own building. 
And so YMCA on Sundays and, um, and during the midweek, our midweek Bible study was in a house in Upper State Street. And, and so I'm, I'm talking to the pastor and the assistant pastor and, and I said, the man who owned the house where we had our midweek Bible study uh, played the organ for the Dodgers. So he would drive down from Santa Barbara, you know, during baseball season. He would drive down to Angel Stadium, and he'd play, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> and everything. And, uh, boy, just such fond, fond memories, you know. I, I love the fact that, you know, walking with the Lord, it's always an adventure. And you get to meet so many different people. And I, I hope we don't ever take this for granted. You know, wherever we're at, um, uh, you know, we're, we're with God's people and hopefully we're growing in God's word and all. Anyway, reminiscing. I've been reminiscing a lot. The older people, they do that. We repeat ourselves and we reminisce. Anyway. We're in Lamentation chapter 1 tonight. And I encouraged you on Sunday... Nate and I were talking, and I, I asked Nate, I said, last week, um, how did the teaching go? And I said, what application did you draw from the text last week? Because, you know, the goal is, especially when you're looking at the Old Testament, and especially a book like Jeremiah, there's a lot of repetition. And so you, you want to draw life application. You know, how can this apply to me? Where otherwise, you're just simply, yeah, I mean, you could be at home and read the text if that's all we're doing is just reading the text to you. And I said, are, are you having a, a difficulty drawing life application? He said, well, no, last week I didn't have a problem drawing life application. I was talking about compromise. And I said, oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. I said, you know, I'm, I'm having a problem drawing life application. And especially as we're going into the judgments of the different nations. And he goes, yeah, that's going to be a bit of a challenge. I said, what do you think if we just have the folks finish Jeremiah? It's only a few chapters. And then we'll go into Lamentations. So in Lamentations, we see really the result of the things that were prophesied, the things that were being, you know, that Jeremiah was, you know, of course, leading up to. And, and so that's what we're going to do. But all that said, in Jeremiah chapter 53, the context, of course, is Babylon getting theirs. So Babylon was used as the uh, rod of discipline, if you will, for Israel. <laughs> But the Lord says in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 51, Babylon's going to get theirs as well. And of course, they did get theirs, didn't they? Um, I want you to look, if you're there, in chapter 51 of Jeremiah, verse 34. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. This is speaking of Jerusalem and Judea. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me up like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has spit me out. Let the violence done to me and my flesh be upon Babylon. The inhabitants of Zion will say, and my blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea. Jerusalem will say. 
And of course, then it goes on to speak of the judgment that will come. You know, guys, we know that Babylon got theirs. The Babylonians, this empire that was great and marvelous. And I mean, you just read about ancient Babylon during the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, you know, the, the wall of the city around Babylon, how they could race chariots on the wall of the city. Amazing. You know, the, of course, the hanging uh, gardens of Babylon and, and all of this, just the majesty and magnificence of, of the whole thing. But of course, they were conquered by two different nations, the Medes and the Persians. So the Medes and the Persians, Persians come in. And as you read Jeremiah chapter 51, it talks about them being surrounded on every side. Of course, that's what the Medo-Persians did. They came and they sacked the Babylonians and they conquered the Babylonians. Uh, the Medo-Persians were conquered by the Grecians. The Grecians were conquered by the Romans. Um, so you have, you know, and of course I'm referring to that statue that Daniel uh, interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar sees the statue, uh, head of gold and so on and so forth. And so Daniel gives the interpretation. He says, you know, after you, you know, another nation, inferior to your nation, it's going to come and, you know, defeat you. Um, it's interesting when you look at the prophecy that was given to Nebuchadnezzar, that it goes from the Babylonian captivity to the time of Christ when the Romans sacked and destroyed the city, the same city, Jerusalem, uh, you know, 30 some years after Christ descended into heaven. It's interesting when you just consider this, this, this you know, Jerusalem is this hot spot. Um, the Lord has blessed these people. He's blessed this spot. He says, this is my city, you know. And yet so much turmoil comes upon the city. Well, Lamentations chapter 1, Jeremiah, he writes, How lonely sits a city that was full of people. How like a widow is she who was great among the nations, the princess among the provinces, has become a slave. Um, as you read Lamentations, first of all, you're struck by the sadness of the whole thing. I mean, it really is. It's just sad. And, and maybe you might even think of some modern-day city that, you know, maybe you... I was watching this morning. I forget what city it was, but in Japan, remember when that that tsunami hit and it just kind of washed in and destroyed. Oh man, how horrible. And then you think of the tsunami that hit, uh, was it down in India and other you know, areas down there? How horrible, how devastating it was. And when you see pictures of the before and the after, you say, oh gosh, it's amazing what water could do to, to destroy something, you know. You think of, um, I think of uh, the Chicago fire you know, during the time of um, D.L. Moody. Uh, D.L. Moody, he happened to be there in Chicago. He's preaching the gospel. Um, he, he tells the people that gathered that night, he says, I, I don't want you to make a decision tonight. I want you to come back tomorrow 
And I want you to think about this decision. And of course, that night was the Chicago fire, and many perished in the fire. And Deal Moody said, I will never, ever do that again. I will never tell people to put off, you know, making their decision to follow Christ. But you think of some of these cities that have been destroyed. When we moved up here, um, two weeks before we moved up here, we had some friends from our church in Grass Valley. They moved to um, Maine, to uh, Portland, Maine, to pioneer Calvary Chapel. And so the husband, Brian, drove all their furniture back to Maine. They had eight children. And so Ruthie and the eight children went to San Francisco, right in the city, um, to stay with her parents. And then they were all going to fly back to Maine. So all the kids and, and everyone back to Maine. And um, while they were there, that, that big earthquake hit. Remember when they... The, oh, the bridge there pancaked and everything. And I think that Ruthie was on the BART system that goes underneath the bay. It came to a, a complete stop. And uh, we said, well, what did you do? And she says, well, I had, had to get home. So we just walked out of the tunnel, out of the BART. And she walked home. And, and she said as she was walking home, there were buildings that just were pancaked on on top of each other. You know, you leave and you say, it looked one way, but now you don't even recognize what street am I on, you know? And I think of that when I read this. A nation that was once full of people, how it's like a widow. A widow in the Old Testament is kind of a picture of someone who's defenseless. Uh, you know, this is why the Bible in the New Testament, it tells us how the church is to care for the widows, genuine widows. And it's very clear. I mean, Paul spends a lot of time on, on what qualifies as a genuine widow, not just someone who has a, you know, their husband has died, but someone who's definitely in need, who has ministered in the church and washed the feet of the disciples, so, so, so on and so forth. But to use that example of a widow, it really is, is kind of picturing something that's, that's desolate. And of course, this is speaking not of, the city, or not of the people, but of the city, and of course, the people who remained in the city. So, verse 2. She weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Again, this is not speaking of an individual. This is speaking of the city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, you had all your friends, the Egyptians. Oh, they're here to help. They'll help us. They'll take care of these Babylonians. Remember, we read that a few weeks ago when the Egyptians came down and the Chaldeans were intimidated by the Egyptians, so they pulled back. And the Lord said, Jeremiah, you tell the people that the Egyptians are going and the Babylonians are coming back. This problem is not going away. And of course, we know in Israel's history, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Judah, that they had many lovers. They were constantly chasing after foreign gods. And so, of course, you're chasing after foreign gods, the gods of the pagans. Now you begin, you're not just adopting worship of their gods, but you're adopting their practices. And, and no doubt you're going to intermarry with those people. And so, again, this is a picture. 
They, they had their lovers, their friends, but when push came to shove, where are they now? They're not there. Why? Because you've rejected your one true lover and your one true friend, which was the Lord. You know, guys, as I was reading through, and every time I read through Lamentation, there is, there is a phrase that runs through my mind, and the phrase is this. It didn't have to be this way. 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 They brought this upon themselves. While others are sleeping sound, she weeps bitterly in the night. Look at verse 3. Judah has gone into captivity under affliction. The word affliction, it speaks of depression and misery and hard servitude. She dwells among the nations. Literally, it could read, she dwells among the Gentiles. Because when it speaks of the nations, it's not speaking of the nation, Israel. It's speaking of the other nations, which were all Gentile nations. Any nation other than Israel would be a Gentile nation. So now she's been scattered, and she's living among the Gentile nations. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtake her in dire strait. The roads to Zion mourn because no one comes to the set feast. You know, you kind of picture Jeremiah, and maybe he's just, he's just looking, he's just surveying the land. We know when um, Mark Twain went to Israel, and he's, the way he described it is a desolate land. I don't know why anyone, you know, there's only a few Bedouins who live here. This is a despised place. You know, this is a horrible place. It's hard to believe that this was a place of glory that the Bible describes, you know. Um, but again, they brought this upon themselves because they were not obedient to the Lord. I was thinking of how the Lord is so long-suffering and so gracious and how obedience brings blessings. And I don't mean this in the whole like prosperity teaching way, you know what I, I mean, but it really does. Obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings this. <laughs> you know, it, it, brings, it brings this type of stuff. And, and guys, here's the life application for us because you know, you, we can make poor choices, poor decisions, and, and really, even as Christians, we could shipwreck our, our faith and, and bring all sorts of woe down upon our own heads. And uh, we don't want to do that, obviously. We, we want to learn. We want to learn from other people's mistakes, right? Rather than learn from our own. That's how I want to learn. I don't want to learn, uh, you know, all the hard lessons because I'm learning them the hard way. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh he's describing you know once people used to throng to the city especially during the feast people the pilgrims would come there would be singing there would be rejoicing the priest would be ready to make their offerings now there's no one no one's coming here the priests that remain in the land they sigh can you picture that kind of in your, your imagination? You know, just kind of, a, you know, a, a priest without people coming to make offerings. Oh, well, he's, he's out of work. You know, he, he has no ministry. 
He has no purpose. Her virgins are afflicted. And she is in bitterness. The word bitterness there, the Hebrew word that's used there, it, it literally means has grown numb or stupefied. Has grown numb. Um, have you, do you know someone that has grown numb, maybe through heartache, through difficulties, through hardships, you talk to them and they're kind of a shell of what they used to be. And they're just, you know, the, it's just, it's like life has been so hard for them and they're just, they're just numb. I've met people like that. It's so sad. Verse 5, her, advers her adversaries have become the master. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord... Okay, so here, here we know. <laughs> so all of this stuff. So now, first mention of the Lord. For the Lord has afflicted her. Remember, the her there is Jerusalem, the inhabitants, those that are left there. And this is why. Because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone into captivity before the enemy. It didn't have to be this way. They brought this upon themselves. It says that her children have gone into captivity. You know, I read that and I think of how our decisions, our poor decisions, how they can have such a, a negative effect upon our children. I mean, honestly, we, we, we need to understand that. We... We, um, you know, uh, the people who think, well, all we do is fight. All we do is argue. It's not good for the children. Amen. It's not good for the children. But then the reasoning goes, Maybe it would be better if we weren't together. See, that's the, that's the reasoning of the world. That's the reasoning of the easy out, you know, I just want to be out of this, so I'm going to kind of put this on my children, you know. Maybe it would be better if, if, if we weren't together because our children shouldn't be around all this fighting. And everything. How about the more responsible thing to say, you know, this isn't good that we're fighting around the kids all the time. Maybe we need to get it together. Maybe you need to go to your corner and I'll go to my corner. We need to repent before the Lord of our own sins rather than pointing out each other's sins because that's what we're fighting about all the time. And to be the man, be the woman that the Lord has called us to be. Oh, Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you help me to love my wife as I need to love my wife? Would you help me to honor and you know, respect my husband as I need to <clears throat> honor and respect him? You know, that would be better for the children I was thinking of, um, I was listening to an interview with Greg Laurie, and, and Greg Laurie was saying, um, he said, you know, talking about the Jesus Revolution, so the film, and he said, um, when I was growing up, having a divorced mom and multiple, you know, stepdads in my life, he said, that was not the norm at that time, and it really wasn't. I mean, I, I did not 
no. I think out of all my friends growing up, I think only two of them were divorced. It was not, but, but, but then Greg went on to say, but, but nowadays, you know, the norm is, you know, divorce and the blended families and everything else. And so he's just kind of talking about the struggles that young people have today because you have kind of this mixed, you know, thing that's happening. But I think of how, you know, guys, it's so important that as men, we're doing our due diligence, we're praying for our families, we're setting an example for our, our wives and our, our children. You know, um, it's interesting. I, I'm going to brag a little bit. Um, the Ripestrings, Ripestrings have been doing, which is wonderful of them. What a wonderful couple. I wonder where their roots go. No, no. <laughs> but um, the Ripestrings, they felt led to do this last Tuesdays for homeschool kids or for any kids that wanted to come. And they do these great things. I mean, it's just been wonderful. They brought a photographer in that did a photography class and, they, and an artist in who did an art class and, and all of that. And, and the last one, um, Tracy and I were asked to come in and participate. And it was the theme was, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And so um, there were some questions that were asked and everything, and the kids came, got forward, uh, came forward, and they talked about some of their future goals and everything. And I'll tell you what was so cool is that a lot of the kids talked about part of their goal was, and then and marrying, and I want to marry, you know, a, a, a man who loves the Lord. I want to marry a woman who loves the Lord. And I was so impressed by that. I thought, oh, that's wonderful. Because, you know, guys, if, if you're paying attention, I know you are. You know, we're being told that we have a population problem. We do have a population problem. It's not overpopulation. It's underpopulation. The population of the world is dropping. Check it out. Check it out. Do your homework on this. The population of the world is dropping. Uh, people are listening to the rhetoric. Uh, married people don't want to have children. I don't want to bring a child into this horrible world type of thing, you know, whatever it might be. Many couples don't even bother to get married. They're just kind of, you know, living together. And there's a lot of lonely people out there. Have you, have you paid attention to that? A lot of lonely people, they're single. They would love to have, you know, a, a man, a woman in their life and to be committed to someone, and, and, but they don't have that and they are lonely. But I'll tell you, parents, as you model what a Christian husband and wife looks like and acts like and the way they carry themselves, it does something for your children. In their heart, they say, I want, I want, marriage is not a drag. Marriage is not something to run away from. Marriage is something to embrace. Why would I want to go through life alone, you know? I, 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 want, I, I, want to, I hope I have a marriage like my parents, you know? And we could set that example. But we could also set a negative example 
And I think of how so often, you know, when we set a negative example, we, if you will, I'm playing with this a little bit, we cause our children go to, go, to go into captivity, the captivity of the enemy. They start thinking differently about marriage. Oh, marriage, what a miserable thing. Man, my parents hated each other. They just stuck together for the kids, you know. It ought not be that way. Verse 6, And from the daughters of Zion, all her splendor has departed. Her, her princes have become like deer that find no pasture, that flee without strength before the pursuer. You know that um, daughter of Zion? Do you guys know Zion? That's kind of a confusing one. Sometimes you say, Zion, what is Zion? Well, originally, biblically speaking, Zion was the city of David. Did you know that? It was the hill where the city of David was. That was Zion. And then once the temple or the tabernacle was put on Mount Moriah, and then the temple eventually was built there. And the Ark of the Covenant was taken from David's city, the city of David, to Mount Moriah. Then that became Zion. And today, Zion would include all of Israel. So the, the daughters of Zion would speak of the, the city, the city of Jerusalem. So that's kind of the thinking of this. Biblical terms have meaning. Um, and, and so, you know, hopefully that gives some clarity. But again, it's a sad, sad picture. Verse 7. In the days of her affliction and roaming, Jerusalem remembers all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old, when her people fell into the, the hand of the enemy with no one to help her. The ad adversaries saw her and mocked at her downfall. You know, I wonder, I prayed it during my prayer. It seems like there's a deliberate effort to bring this nation to its knees. I don't understand why. Biblically, I understand that this nation will not be a key player in the last days. But I never thought that it would that the downfall would come from the inside. I, I thought that maybe it would be another nation bringing us to our, our knees in some way. But it just seems like there's this deliberate, you know, action to just bring us down as a nation. And, um, and I'll tell you, um, when that happens, our neighbors will mock. <laughs> They will not say, oh, 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 how, how America has fallen, fallen, oh, America. No, no, no. They will mock us. Just as they mocked Israel for their downfall. Jerusalem has sinned gravely. So this explains, so, so Jeremiah, you're describing what the city's like. You're describing what you're seeing there. But why? Why have these things happened? Well, here's the answer. Jeremiah has sinned gravely. Therefore, she has become vile, which means to move or be removed. She's vile. She's been removed. Therefore, she has become vile. All who honor her despise. 
honored her, despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Now, that's a term in the Old Testament that seems strange to us, you know. Remember when um, Noah, his son's, his son, excuse me, singular, saw his nakedness, and that was to his shame, and, you know, cursed, and, and, and all. His nakedness, they've seen her nakedness. They've seen the reality of who she is. And her uncleanness is in her skirt. She did not consider her destiny. Think of that. That's a line where you kind of sit and you just want to just kind of think about it for, for a minute. She did not, she did not consider. Guys, this is what we need to do. We need to consider. We need to think. We need to, you know, I, I mentioned that I've been reminiscing a lot, and I am I am so thankful. You know, Tracy and I, 45 years of marriage, has it been easy peasy? No, no marriage is easy peasy, you know, but it, but it, I'll tell you, it hasn't been a drag. It's been a blessing. Uh, there's been difficulties, there's been hardships uh, along the way, you know, um, but we've stuck together. And, and the Lord truly, it sounds like a cliche, but the Lord is truly the glue that binds us together. He's the cord, the third cord that has bound us together. And, um, you know, when you come together as a couple and you say, okay, we're going to take um, some options off the table from the very get-go. Divorce is not an option. So we're going to grow up, we're going to mature, and we're going to do what we need to do. We're going we're gonna to change. We're going we're gonna to do what we need to do. Uh, Tracy and I, the other night, we were dealing with something, and I got emotional about it. And we're driving home, and, and my wife is so gracious. She is so gracious, and it was driving me crazy because she's so gracious, and I just wanted to prove my point, you know, and... and um, and so anyway, you know, we had our conversation all the way home. And, and it was like the next day I was praying. You know, that's <laughs> when you pray, <laughs> that's when everything changes. And as I'm praying, the Lord just began to soften my heart. And he said, in, in essence, to my heart, you know, you know, Tracy's right. Her attitude's right on this. And so anyway, last night... After dinner, um, we were sitting there, and I said, babe, I want to tell you something. And so she came over. She said, what? And I said, I just wanted to tell you. And then the smile broke out on my face because I realized this is so hard to say. <laughs> she said, what? And I said, I just wanted to say that you were... <laughs> you, I'm having a hard time saying it now. <laughs> You were right, and I was wrong. And she said, about what? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, you were much more gracious than I am, and you're right, and da-da-da-da-da, and I'll tell you. <laughs> and she just had that, that look on her face like, <laughs> oh, oh! 
I wouldn't want to do it without Tracy. I wouldn't want to live without her. You know, guys, the Lord, commit your ways to the Lord. Live for him. Honestly, you know, and these safeguards. Because I don't think, you know, guys, we're not going to fall into, you're not worshiping idols, are you? I, I'm not worshiping idols. I, I, I don't think that we're going to get into trouble. I think for us, it's a relational thing many times. And, and so many people, and even Christian people, they're so quick to throw in the towel. And you throw in the towel, and your children are going to be affected. And you throw in the towel, and your witness is going to be damaged. And you throw in the towel, and you'll never, you'll never see what the Lord could have done. And you will always have this caption. It didn't have to be this way. And there will always be that question, what if? What if? Well, I guess I'm really stretching, get, trying to get application out of this. I, I hope I'm not stretching. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. Oh, Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy is exalted. The adversary has spread his hand over all her pleasant things. Look at that. They've taken what was once ours. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, her holy place. Those whom you commanded not to enter your assembly. Now they're coming in. Babylonians are in. They're pushing the doors open. They're taking the things. You know, guys, they took, and we see this at the end of Jeremiah, if you read ahead or finished your reading of Jeremiah. You know that they took the instruments of the temple there, and they took them back to Babylon. And again, for us, we just, you know, because we don't value things like that. That's not the spiritual economy that we're part of. But if you were a Jew, you would say, oh, this is so, these should not be in the hands of, of pagans. I mean, these are just, now these things of God, these things that God, God gave our people the blueprints on how to make these things. And, and he anointed the craftsmen who made these things originally. I mean, this whole thing was a work of the Lord. And now the pagans have these things with their dirty mitts all over them, you know, and mixing them with all their pagan idols and, and all. Verse 11, and her people sigh. There again, we see that. And they seek bread. So it wasn't only, you know, the fact that their things were now gone, their holy place, the temple, the worship. No one's there to worship the Lord. The streets are empty. But those that remained... <coughs> They, they dealt with famine. They seek bread. They have given their valuables for food to restore life. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am scorned. It is not to you, or it is nothing to you, all you who pass by. Behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought on me which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his first anger. Do you see this, guys? This first, it's, it's like Jerusalem. It's like it's crying out to those who are passing by to say, oh, look at us. Look at the city. It lies in ruins. Is there any compassion? Do you know who we were? You know, I mean, kind of that. Do you know what we once were? Are you aware of this, you know? And, and, and it's just kind of this plea for those who might just pass by and all they see is the rubble. Before Bible study tonight, 
Jim and I were upstairs in the prayer room. By the way, there's prayer on Wednesday nights. If you need prayer, you can come up and uh, get prayer. Uh, you want someone to lay hands on you and pray for your no hands, you know, just prayer. But we were just talking about different places. places. Uh, Jim and I, um, we lived, um, we didn't because I had moved to San Diego, but the cities that we lived in at one time in, in L.A. were very close. In fact, uh, Jim and some of my cousins in Hollydale were very, very close. They probably played each other in you know high school games and stuff like that. So he was in Paramount, we're in Norwalk, so we have those similarities. And then with the Navy, uh, Jim and Roe were in San Diego, and so of course I grew up in San Diego, so we have those similarities, and we're just upstairs, and Jim was asking about our trip to Santa Barbara, and he says, boy, it's been a long time since I've been to Santa Barbara. So he's describing, you know, da-da-da-da-da, and I said, I, I don't know, Jim, boy, it's changed so much, you know, it's really... Santa Barbara's really changed a lot. So we're just talking about this. And then we're talking about places in San Diego and how, you know, we've seen San Diego downtown, San Diego, which was really pretty raunchy. And then they really cleaned it up. There was this effort to really clean it up. And, and the last time I went to San Diego, I didn't even know where I was. I mean, you know, there's a stadium like downtown, down by the water. And, and it used to be the stadium was way out on 8, and uh, was it 8 or 808 or whatever it was, 8? And so we're just talking about those things. And as we're talking, I was thinking to myself of places, um, cities that once were so beautiful and safe. Jim had made the comment, oh, this place. And I said, oh, I used to go there when I was a kid. Da, da, da. We're talking, we're reminiscing. And then he said, yeah, you know, that area got really bad. It was kind of dangerous to go down there. I said, oh, why? Oh, the gangs. The gangs kind of took over that. Oh, uh, you know. And, and, and it's sad, you know, when you think of, when you have memories of maybe some place you grew up and, and then you go back there. It's kind of like, uh, um, I lived in Norwalk when I was a little kid. And ironically, when we lived in Grass Valley, one of the assistant pastors on staff, Mike Carpenter, he died of his second heart attack, he was only 37 years old. He was a diabetic, he was legally blind, uh, and uh, he had a lot of health issues, obviously. But his uh, son, Scott, was in the youth group, and Scott and I were really good buddies. And so I drove with Scott down to L.A. to pick up his sister, who lived in Norwalk. And so we drove down all night, picked her up, and it's probably, you know, four in the morning, and we're stopped at a light, and this car pulls up next to us, and Scott says, go, go, go. And I said, what? And he says, go, and he pushes the gas pedal so we could go. And I said, what's wrong? And he says, this is Norwalk. You don't let people drive up in the middle of the night because you don't know what they're going to do. Now, I don't know if he's over-exaggerating, you know, but, but I think of Norwalk. When I was a kid, Norwalk was well, right around the corner. There was a Dutch dairy. And the Dutch farmers, they wore the wooden clogs. And we would go there and get milk. 
Well, from those guys that cluck, 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 cluck. <laughs> I'm thinking, gangs? Are they Dutch gangs, you know? <laughs> but anyway, places change. And uh, Jerusalem had changed. Horribly changed. Where am I? I? I need to just stick to it. Stop telling stories. I'm sorry. 13. 13. Okay, thank you. From... Above, he has sent fire into my bones. Note this, it's, it's the Lord who's done it. And it's overpowered them. He has spread a net for my feet and, and turned me back. He has, he has made me desolate and faint all the day. The yoke of my transgression was upon what was bound. Uh, they were woven together by his hands and thrust upon my neck. He made my strength fail. The Lord delivered me into the hands of those whom I am not able to withstand. There's, a, there's this acknowledgement, you know, you kind of go from the desolation of the city and he looks around and he weeps and, and the city's weeping and the city has a tear on its cheek and it can't sleep at night and and the holy place has been desecrated and no one comes there any longer and it's not safe to go to, up to Jerusalem any longer. And, and, and then, it, and then he's, the city's crying out to those who pass by, you know, look at us, look at us. Have, have you ever seen anyone suffer the way we're suffering? Have sympathy for us, have some compassion for us, you know. And from there it moves to this acknowledgement we brought this upon ourselves. The Lord has done this. The Lord has allowed this. We've done this to ourselves. You know, guys, we need to think biblically because this, they were on the right path at this point in time. You know, when you acknowledge your sin, when you acknowledge, I've, I've sinned against God, I've sinned against the Holy God, I've brought this upon myself, that's a good place to be. That really is because repentance leads to restoration. Repentance will lead to forgiveness and, 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 and restoration. Now, of course, they were still going to reap the consequences of their poor choices. They were still going to spend 70 years in captivity. Or the ones that we're reading about were those that were left. So in one sense, you know, we know that when Nebuchadnezzar came in, he sacked Jerusalem three different times, his armies, that many of the people who remained there, because they let the poor people remain there. Sometimes it's good to be poor rather than to be a person of clout and influence. And they left the poor people there. But many of them, they ended up leaving their homes and kind of moving out of the city, almost like Bedouins. Um, and it was hard for them. You know, you might think, well, it would have been better to stay in Jerusalem than to be in captivity for, for uh, you know, the 70 years. But when you, you read Lamentation, you think, well, they, they all had it hard. These people are suffering from famine. They don't have food to eat. I mean, they're, they're in a a horrible, horrible place, but here they're acknowledging. Verse 15, the Lord has trampled underfoot all my mighty men in my midst. 
He has called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord trampled as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eye, my eye overflows with water because the comforter who should restore my life is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. Zion spreads out her hands, but no one comforts her. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob that those around him become his adversaries. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. What a sad, sad picture. Help us, please help us. The Lord is righteous. I like this. See open eyes. Guys, you know, I was giggling when I was telling the story about Tracy being right. There are those rare times, but no. <laughs> She's right all the time. Anyway, but, um, but you know, isn't it good when in time of prayer, you're just waiting before the Lord, and the Lord begins to speak to your heart and soften your heart. And you just realize, gosh, I... Because, let's face it, sometimes what we feel seems so right in the moment. You know, I'm angry. This is righteous anger, you know. I was like, okay, there's one problem. You're not righteous. <laughs> You're just in the flesh, you know. But but we could we could kind of you know justify things, you know, like that. But I, I love it when the Lord, when the Lord, when the Lord, you know, I um I think that if we had people and 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 the story I shared about Trace, Tracy wasn't she she was not standing over and was saying, you need to admit that you were wrong. It wasn't like that at all. She just moved on because she's been married to me so long. She just kind of moves on until the next one, you know. But but it was the Lord. And when the Lord begins to speak to your heart and kind of show you things, you know, you're wrong about this, you're wrong about that, you need to. Sometimes... The Lord doesn't get our attention until we see something that we might be struggling with, but we see it in someone else, and we realize, but that, that's really distasteful. And it's like that still small voice of the Lord says, yeah, that's what you look like, or that's what you sound like. Oh, Lord, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that, Lord. We want to be in that place where we're open to the Spirit of God. We need to train ourselves to hear the voice of God. You know what I mean by that. I've never, you know, some people claim to hear the voice of God. I've never heard the voice of God in my ear. But I've heard many times the voice of God in my heart, you know, where he just impresses something upon your heart. And you just know. There's just kind of that strange knowing that, this this is from the Lord, you know, and we need to train ourselves to to 
kind of recognize the, the heart of God in that. I'm going to tell one more story because I have like three minutes. Sometimes, depending upon our personalities, sometimes if something is negative or corrective, we're quick to say that's from the Lord. Because we just kind of think, you know, that's me. I'm a mess up. I probably need to be corrected. I remember um, long, long time ago, we had a lady in the church, and she was working for this woman who could not speak. She had some physical issues. She could not speak, um, and her, her movement was really... Uh, you know, almost like her body was stiff. And she would speak through a little uh, thing. She would type out words, so it took a long time. And she would type out these words, and um, and then the, the woman that was helping her would read the message. And so the lady wanted to come in and meet me. So I'd never met her before, and we we're in my office, the three of us, and um, and so she begins to type out something. And she typed out, this is a cold church. Now, because of just my mindset at that time, you know, this kind of this negative, you know, why would anyone want to come to this church? <laughs> this type of thing. You know, I took it almost like it was a prophetic word from the Lord, you know. Cold church. And I just carried this around forever and ever. I just, you know, I was just so heavy, you know. This is a cold church. Why are we a cold church? And it wasn't until quite some time later that as I was praying, the Lord just kind of brought to my mind this thought. What if she was physically cold? <laughs> what if she said, it's cold here? Like maybe the next line would have been, could you turn the heat up or something? And because, you know, just my, you know, just kind of down and out all the time, I carry this weight. Like, first of all, you know, even if she said it was a cold church, she'd never come to a service. So why would I take that as like some word from the, <laughs> the Lord? And sometimes we can do that, guys. We, you know, it's almost like, you know, I know the Lord's speaking to me. How do you know? Because it's corrective. And that's the only voice I ever hear is the corrective voice of God. And we need to be careful of that. I mean, we don't want to be to where we're never receiving corrective words from the Lord. But you know what? What if the Lord was to say, you know, I love you. I just love, I love it when you sit there and, and you pray to me and you commune with me. And I, I love this. And he calls you by name. 
you know, I, I think sometimes we're, we're so reluctant to take that because many times we feel like, and this is why we need to think biblically, we need to be in the Word, we need to understand what our position is in Christ Jesus, that we are His, we belong to Him. No one could snatch us out of His hand. We belong to Him. We've been redeemed. We've been born again. We have the Spirit of the living God in us. Are we perfect? No, far from it. We are so far from it. But does He love us? Yeah. You know, the John 3.16, it's not that he just loves people and he wants them to be saved, but then after they're saved, he stops loving them. He loves us now. So we need to be, we need to be people who are open to the Lord. The Lord is righteous. We say amen. For I rebelled against his commandment. And there are times we say, amen to that. Hear now all peoples and behold my sorrow. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders breathed their last in the city while they sought food to restore their life. See, O Lord, that I am in distress. My soul is troubled. My heart is overwhelmed within me, for I have been very rebellious. Again, the, you know, it's like, Lord, I need you, I need you. And I know I've been rebellious. I've been rebellious. Could you, you know, with our kiddos, our five kids, if, um, if they were going through it, Regardless, you know, and they were just, I'm so alone and I just don't want to live and I just feel so miserable and it's unfair what's happening to me right now when I, you know, and then they said, I know that I've been rebellious. I mean, as a father, my heart would just melt. I want to say, yeah, I'm glad you've come to your senses. My heart would just melt and I'd say, oh, oh. And I just picture myself as a man, you know, and I'm not God, I'm, I'm a sinful man. But I picture myself going up to that, my child, my adult child, or, you know, and, and putting my arm around them and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. We've gone through that with our kids, you know. We've, we've had some hard times with some of our kids. But we never stopped loving them. But I'll tell you, just the smallest little flicker of humility or brokenness, oh man, our hearts would just melt. They would. We'd just say, oh, it would be so full of hope. And we'd just say, I, I know that, you know, and I, man, if we're like that, surely our, our Lord's like that. Our Heavenly Father's like that. For I have been very rebellious outside the sword bereaves. At home, it's like death. Can you ever relate to that? It's like death in here, you know. Sometimes it could be so dreary, and that's what I picture that he's describing here. And they have heard that I sigh. There that is again. But no one comforts me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. Bring on the day you have announced, Jeremiah 51, that they may... Become like me. Bring on them what you've brought on me, Lord. Let all their wickedness come before you and do to them as you have done to me. For all my transgressions, for my sighs are many and my heart is faint. 
And it didn't have to be that way. And Lord, we pray that we would, <laughs> that we would seek you, Lord. There would be men and women who love you truly. There would be men and women who keep a short list with you, Lord. Again, you know, I think of what John wrote. If we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we'd keep a short list with you, Lord. We pray, Father, that we would not walk in pride or indifference or rebellion. And when we are rebellious, Lord, we pray that you would bring us quickly to that place of repentance. We pray, Father, that we would not despise your rod of discipline, but that we would appreciate it, knowing that you're a loving father, and any loving father disciplines his child. So thank you, Lord, for this really sad picture of Jerusalem at the time of the Babylonians, that captivity. And we pray, Lord, that as we continue to read the next four chapters in the weeks to come, that we would just kind of imagine what it would be like to be in the city, those left, or maybe in Babylon, those taken into captivity, what it would have been like to be separated from all the things that were near and dear to you, to see your loved ones perishing around you, to have that, that, that thought, that phrase upon your heart constantly, it didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. We love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.